0: Plus, you get free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com with the promo code SELFIE. Today's sponsor is Every Plate. Initially, I thought meal kits had to be expensive, that they were kind of a splurge. But as it turns out, Every Plate is more affordable than groceries. Their quality ingredients come pre-portioned to help you save money and reduce food waste. You know, like the bag of spinach that I throw out every single week. You can skip the store and let every plate plan, shop, and deliver everything you need to cook a delicious meal at a consistently low price. For me, in the summer, I'd rather be out enjoying the sunshine than cooking. Every plate helps me do just that. the list goes on. You can choose from classic plate, veggie plate, family plate, and easy plate preferences to serve up crowd-pleasing meals night after night. Try every plate for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering the code SELFIE179. Again, that's $1.79 per meal, at everyplate.com with the code SELFIE179. Hi, you're listening to SELFIE. I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and psychotherapist, and this is a weekly podcast about women learning how to take care of themselves. Self-care is important, and yet it can be elusive. While we may have all the information we need, we don't always get there. So this podcast is dedicated to exploring different aspects of self-care, from the silly to the serious. We're looking at health, relationships, beauty, periods, maybe a touch of the random, and we also want to look at the defenses and distractions that keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. To submit questions for me or Rue or to Claire, our beauty expert, or BJ, our resident therapist, join us in our private forum by searching for Selfie Facebook Community on Facebook. Hey guys, well in today's episode I'm going to be chatting with Jennifer Petriclieri. We are talking about the mental load and women and men and how to make relationships work. Um, and I think it's a really resonant conversation because I think women right now are really tired. I'm here with Rue today. Rue, would you say that's true? Do you feel like women are really tired right now?
1: Oh, I mean, certainly. And and, and I think that, too, now you have um, – there's a lot of pressure to do a lot of things, right? So uh, for me, I really enjoy my career, but I also uh, want to be really involved in my kids' lives and not just provide, you know, food, clothing, and shelter, but feel like I'm connecting with them emotionally. But then also I want to take care of myself and also I want to invest in relationships around me. And, you know, the, kind of the list kind of goes on, like I want to make sure I'm running and taking care of myself physically. And so when you get to the end of the to-do list, um, you know, I think I think women are, generally pretty exhausted.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. I think that we have more expectations on ourselves than ever before. I think, you know, one of the beauties of feminism, obviously, is that it's given us so many choices, and we can work, and we can't, you know, we can do all these things. But then I feel like there is almost a pressure then to do all of those things, you know? And I mean, I t- I totally feel that pressure, too. Like, I want to be a PTA mom, and I want to be like a really amazing homemaker, but I also want to have a career. And like, I probably can do all of those things at the same time.
1: Right. In fact, it was maybe not a source of shame, but I had to step down from our school's PTA. And I didn't want to. I mean, I I definitely want to be the kind of mom that's involved and the kids see at school and it's exciting for them. And I'm, you know, helping out and, and serving teachers in the community. But at the end of the day, something had to give and it's not going to be my sleep or, you know. Eating a square meal, and so it was one of those things that I kind of, you know, tail between my legs said, "I'm so sorry, I really cannot be part of the PTA this uh, upcoming year." And it's just something that um, it, it's it's just kind of assumed that like once you join the PTA, you're part of the PTA, and so I felt like it was I I, I felt a little shame kind of going to everyone saying, "Ah, uh, I need a I need to tap out this time."
0: Yeah, totally. It's hard. It's really hard. I have um, I have kind of only opted into. Things at my kids' school that I can do from home. I don't want to go to the school during the middle of the day. <laughs> That's smart. That's when I, smart. Oh. you know, when I'm trying to get my work done. But I mean, I have to say this: I continue to to notice when you're talking whether you're talking PTA or sports moms or what have you. It's the women still doing those roles, and not a lot of men. I don't think our PTA has any men. Well,
1: I think. Um- I uh, there are like we have room parents and yep. there are some there are some room dads. Oh. And I do remember I do remember at one point last year um, there was a need for volunteering and it was like this last minute scramble. We really need people. But only the moms were emailed. And I, you know, didn't do this, but I wanted to hit reply all and say, hey, I wonder if there would be, you know, you could you could kind of. uh uh, cast a wider net and include the dads because I um, yeah the, a, a lot of the moms are working full time or the, they're busy and just this idea that well certainly the dads can't be a part well why not I'm sure dads are there are wonderful stay at home dads or dads that can take a, an
0: hour off or dads yeah. that want to be a part of their kids school day as well But I and I think that there are a lot of dads that do step up into those roles. But I don't think men are feeling quite the same guilt or expectation that we were talking about. Like, I don't think there's a lot of men losing sleep about like, am I being, you know, am I giving enough focus to career and to family?
1: Yes, I, uh, this is a, a, a really terrible thing to say. And if anyone takes this as anything other than a lighthearted joke, and maybe commentary about, you know, where society is, I, I truly apologize. But I joke that I might be a
0: mediocre mom, but I am a really great dad. <laughs> <laughs> totally. That's the truth, though. That is the truth. I think if I could lower my expectations to that of a father, I would be fine. <laughs> but it's hard yes. to do that. It's hard to do that. And, and I think I write about this actually a little bit in my book. It's like, I think in order to tip the scales to more equal, we do, women do need to lower our standards of each other.
1: The, I um, There's a, a writer I really love and her name is Laura Vanderkam and she writes a lot about um, like uh, work home balance and managing time. And she's just, she's just super, super cool and super smart. And I really enjoy reading her and and listening to her. And one thing that she mentions is all the time, women are like, well, I need to clean, I need to do this, I need to do that. And she'll just say, you know what, it's going to get dirty anyway. Like, maybe you need to lower yeah.
0: your expectations about how clean yeah. your house actually should be. Oh, so true. So very true. Well, yeah, Jennifer, um, I'm stoked that we got to talk with her. She had a lot of good things to say about this, and especially for dual career couples, because I know that's where a lot of these challenges come in, is when you have two people that are working, so no one is home full time, but someone mm-hmm. still has to do all those tasks. And so she has some good advice for how to kind of find that balance. Um, but how is your self-care going, Rue?
1: Yeah, so my self-care is doing okay right now. Um, I've been trying to do small, mindful things that aren't necessarily uh, very time-consuming or excruciatingly expensive, which is basically what every women's magazine will tell me to do. Um, <laughs> So, so small things like, you know what's really nice to do is just kind of sit and be quiet and enjoy quiet. And there are times where if like the kids are out of the house and I don't have to work, uh, I feel like I need to scramble and do something. And like maybe right now I should run to the gym or maybe I should do laundry or maybe I should, you know, do all the things that I feel like I need to do. But I love a quiet house so much. So lately what I've been doing, if I have the house to myself, I just... Take a few minutes and enjoy it, and not run out the door to do the next thing. And so I will sit with a cup of tea mm. and a book or whatever, and just put my feet up and just enjoy not having noise.
0: Okay, I, I mean that sounds so simple, and yet I think that's a little bit groundbreaking for a lot of us to take that time.
1: Well, I just feel like I, uh, you know, if 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 we're looking at self care as like another to do list, then it just becomes more. I don't know. Like I don't want to be burdened by a self-care to-do list. I want to just kind of yeah. do something that feeds me throughout
0: the day, even yeah. if that's small. That's good. That's good. Well, my self-care, I am struggling. So I had um nasal surgery about four months ago to deal with like my deviated septum and all this and that. And during the surgery, you know, they intubate you when you're under, right? So that they can right. I don't, I don't even totally understand the science behind it, but they're basically, like, making sure that you don't, like, die in surgery and kind of breathing for you. <laughs> so stick a tube down your throat. Well, when the anesthesi- anesthesiologist did this during my surgery, he overextended my jaw. And so I have been dealing with uh. horrible TMJ since the surgery um, that does not seem to be getting any better. So my current – issue is I'm trying to figure out how to solve this TMJ and I've like gotten different advice from different people. I have actually posted about it on Instagram and I cannot believe how many other people have TMJ.
1: Yes, I so I went to my dentist for it and they um his it, it, well his solution was to give me Valium, and you know, take a Valium every night before bed, and it'll help you relax the muscles. And that felt—I just didn't want to get to the point where I was taking Valium every every night. No. So I was looking, I was looking into other options as well. And they said even physical therapy. And then, and I think maybe someone, maybe I saw someone mention this on your Instagram,
0: Botox and the masseter as well. Yes. So Botox is my next step. So so far, what I've done is I got the mouth guard. I cannot sleep with it. It I it drives me insane. So that was a bust. Although apparently there's a different type of night guard that of course costs, you know, eleven thousand um, dollars but there's apparently a different kind that doesn't go all the way to your back teeth. So it doesn't give that sort of gag re- reflex. So I'm looking into that. Um, I did occupy acupuncture which is that was my first time doing acupuncture have you have you done it before Uh, that's so funny i just did acupuncture
1: for the first time this month and everyone asked me how it was Uh and my response was i i don't know is it i know it's not not like a massage where you're like oh yeah that's the spot no it's kind of like is it is it cumulative will i feel it later i don't that's kind of yeah, how so I feel. Like I was like, it, I guess. I don't know. I,
0: did you I feel any – like that night when you slept, did you feel like it was reduced at all or – You know, what's funny is no, I actually felt like it got 100% worse that day. But then I Googled it and apparently that can be normal. There can be a sort of get worse before it gets better thing with acupuncture. But no, it made it way worse that day. So um, is your
1: your next step is mas- uh, Botox and the masseter? So my, that's my next
0: step. Yep, is sticking Botox in there, which, you know, none of my insurance covers the, any of this. <laughs> TMJ is like this weird, like sort of middle of the road, like, you know, your regular doctors like go to the dentist and then the dentist like go to an ENT. And it's just weird. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to try to do Botox, but I don't think my insurance will cover it. So I, I can't imagine that's going to be cheap, but I'll, I'll do anything well, at this point.
1: I, I did ask about masseter and the Botox too, just because my my jaw clicks. By the way, I do go to a chiropractor, and he does adjust my jaw, and it's yeah. basically like that little pogo stick, and it hurts like hell. But um,
0: I might need to but, do that.
1: Yeah, but they said that uh, because it's off label, you will not get anyone to cover right.
0: uh, Botox mass uh, masseter Botox. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's probably true. So maybe I need to try the chiropractor too then. Your guy does it? Like, what does it feel like? That's scary. Yeah. So it's
1: I, I do my regular adjustment, and then I sit up, and it's almost like a little baby pogo stick, and he just kind of comes up right at my jaw, and kind of it. It's like it's like getting punched by a very small <laughs> man. That's that's what it feels like, and I okay. always it always like oh, like I cringe, but I, I definitely feel a difference. But I kind of need someone to pogo stick my face every day.
0: Right. Well, that doesn't sound that hard. Can we just, can we DIY this? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's a kit on Etsy. Right? I'm convinced. We'll, be, we'll figure it out. Of all the things you want to DIY, chiropractic is probably the worst. Because I feel like, do you ever feel too, like when they do that thing where they adjust your neck and they turn it, like they're just going to mess up and kill you?
1: No, there is definitely a moment. <laughs> honestly, it's going to the chiropractor, buying something off Craigslist and getting in an Uber. You're always yes. like, there is a small chance yeah, that I might die right I
0: now. I could die. Right, (laughs) like he could make my neck feel way better, or he could accidentally just break my neck. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I should not DIY that. (laughs) Well, what do you have for um, two thumbs up this week?
1: I have nothing exciting. Nothing exciting. (laughs) The first thing is, um, you know, I run, and I am in an area that's kind of isolated, and I'm kind of out in the woods. And um, I like to run when I travel. But you also, it's also. I don't know. I guess men don't really necessarily deal with this as much. But the idea of running in a neighborhood or in a city that you don't know very well um, yeah. and you're alone and it's dark out. So I I have runner's mace and it's oh. basically like pepper spray and it has a little strap and you wear it around your hand and you kind of run. You just, you just run with it. And so I, I like that because it's just... I don't know. It just feels like a little bit of insurance as I run, uh, provided that I don't just, you know, spray myself
0: in the face. Um, You know, honestly, I've thought that. Like, I always think that, that if I carry runner's mace, I will mace myself.
1: Yes, yes. I imagine that I will do it and that I will probably deserve it because <laughs> I, I I don't know. I need to go out in the woods and do a couple test runs with it or something and wear goggles and make sure I don't actually do it. So I, I know what I'm doing. You know? Totally. Um, but I like this because I think that there was this great Twitter thread um, about what would you do if like men had a 9 p.m. curfew. And uh, lots of women were like, oh, I'd go dancing, I'd go for nighttime runs, I'd do this, I'd do that. And I like the idea that, you know, having runner's mace isn't going to make me invincible, but it, it, it maybe it allows me the freedom to uh, be more cavalier about where I run totally. or, you know, just enjoy enjoy being outside. Totally.
0: Yeah, I, I could probably do with some runner's mace, to be honest, because... The place that I like to run, I am often running over crunchy crack pipes or finding like assorted bras that have been discarded. Like it's pretty shady. I'm mainly in the
1: woods, so it's more likely that I'm going to be attacked by like a coyote or a bobcat. Oh, yeah. But either way, it feels like it's a smart thing to have. Well, you can um, mace a bobcat, couldn't you? I yeah. I mean why I, I feel like is gonna come after us after this episode. <laughs> Don't but mace a bobcat. No one mace a bobcat. <laughs> Terry Terrible sport, very <laughs> little upside. Um, <laughs> um, the other thing I really enjoy doing um, is the New York Times crossword puzzle, which uh. I, I like it because it's so it's an app on my phone, um, and I. I will work on it while I'm in the tub, and it is something that is not, like, scrolling through Instagram yeah. or sh- shopping online, um, and I I like the idea of, like, working a different part of my brain, perhaps. Totally. Um, and then the other thing is the Monday puzzles are the easiest. So the Monday puzzles are like watching an episode of Teen Jeopardy, where you're like, yeah, I'm killing it, know all the answers, <laughs> and so I... I feel like the Monday crossword puzzle is just like, it's like a shot in the arm when it comes to
0: uh, my ego. So I, I count that as a win as well. I love it. <laughs> it's so funny. Well, um, I discovered a new face mask this week. Are you a masker? Do you like masks a lot? I, I do like masks. Yes. I do too. I really like masks. And it's funny, my 13 year old daughter is obsessed with masks and she really likes this one too. It is Nova Shirt sure Green Tea Matcha Mud Mask. Now, I love matcha, love all things tea and green tea and matcha, and it smells just like matcha, so it smells really mm. good, um, but it's like it's just a nice traditional mud mask where you feel like it's like pulling stuff out of the pores and really detoxifying your face. Um, but it's just a very pleasant smell, and it's that that like classic um, dark green color. Ooh, nice.
1: <laughs> uh, so, do you um, do you prefer a mud mask or like a sheet mask? Are I do you guys not, sheet not sheet like masks sheet too? masks? I don't like sheet yeah. masks. I think they're kind of gummy and wet
0: and cold. <laughs>
1: Yes. Yeah. And they also, I mean, if you are going to t- take two masks and put them next to each other, like, which one's going to do a murder at night? Definitely
0: yeah. a sheet mask. I yeah. know. They, yeah, you do look kind of scary. And I feel like you can't, like, walk around. You kind of have to, like, lay there or it'll fall off. Yeah, you can't. Yes, that's that's right. Because it's
1: so, it's like, I'm always like, which side's the right side? Both sides Same. are slippery. <laughs> right.
0: I just, no, I don't like them. And they're always cold. They're always cold. Oh. No. I, I prefer regular old mask. And then my second is I just finally finished the book. I've been reading this one forever, um, but it took me a while to finish, um, You Should Talk to Someone, which is a memoir of a therapist going to therapy, but then she also tells some stories of her own clients. And it's not a self-help book. It's a memoir, but I feel like, and I'm, I'm a licensed therapist, I feel like I... Like learn so much about therapy and the whole process just from reading the book. It's really wow. good. Do you do you feel like
1: because you're reading it from it, you're reading it from the vantage point of being a therapist that you are like you, you took something different from it? I mean, I imagine so, perhaps differently than I would. But do you feel like you it, a lot of it resonated with you as a therapist as well?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think there was definitely that aspect of, like, wow, I really relate to, like, these feelings she's having about her clients or some of the questions she asks. But, but she she's really vulnerable in this book. Um and I, I don't know. I really loved it. I've had so many people recommend it to me, and I'm so glad I read it.
1: Is it, um, is it an easy read? And I always ask,
0: like, is it one of those books? Does it make? Did it? Did you cry? Yes, it had a very, you know, that satisfying ending where you like you're just happy for everyone in the book, right? Yes. Like happy for their progress. Um, yes. And I, I would say it's a medium read because it's not okay. a, you know, it's not a page turner per se. It's not a story. I think. I don't know that I would call any nonfiction an easy read, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's fair. Oh, the way that you're describing the end of the book, by the way, is the way that I very, I very much feel about the last episode of Fleabag.
0: <gasps> yes, I completely agree. I-
1: I've been, I've been chasing a Fleabag high since I watched that la- that last episode. By the way, and I have not, I have not yet found it. But I- maybe that should be one of my recommendations. If you have not yet watched Fleabag. Do yourself a favor. You will laugh and cry and just feel like you're really in someone's corner. And I, I really, I really still feel strongly about Fleabag. Oh my gosh, are they gonna do a third season? Do we know? They are not. She said. She it's said this done. is the, This is the end. This is the end of the story. And I guess that's uh, right. I mean, it makes sense. But I, you know, I would love some more of that good, good Fleabag content. Have
0: you watched Schitt's Creek? I have not. Okay. That should be, I I think that could satisfy your flea baggage. (laughs) Okay.
1: All right. I'll add it to the list.
0: Well, before we get to my interview with Jennifer about making marriages work, I wanted to throw some reader questions to BJ Hickman, who is our resident therapist, and they are very timely to this episode because they are also about marriage.
2: So we're starting today with two questions. And the reason I'm doing that is these questions are pretty much exactly the same question. And the truth is, some of you are experiencing some very, very similar situations. So I may group questions at times. I'll always read your quest, all of the questions in their entirety so that you know we're addressing yours. But And if there's a part that's specific to your question that's not in the others, I'll definitely touch into those things. But the common parts of the questions I'll ask a little bit more holistically. And that way we can get to more of you um, more quickly and get to your questions. So the first question today is, how do you know when to leave a marriage? I'm betwixt in between on staying or going. I know this is deeply personal and individual, but what is a good enough marriage? I love my partner but being married is increasingly difficult. We've done individual and couples counseling, but the problems remain. Things are manageable, but sad. On one hand, I have more leverage to negotiate within marriage, but I also feel really stifled. We have a child, which doesn't make things any less complicated. And because we have a child together, we'll always be connected. He's a good man, but that doesn't feel like enough anymore. I'm right on the edge. It feels overwhelming to go and overwhelming to stay. How do I discern what to do from here? And the second question simply states, How do you know when you've tried enough and your marriage can't be saved? This really is a difficult question to answer um, for the very reason that the first questioner stated this is deeply personal and individual. And the truth of the matter is there's a lot of reasons we end up where you are in your marriage right now. And so I'm just going to ask you to consider A few things as you try to decipher what the solution is. We get our beliefs about divorce and about marriage from a lot of different stories and places in our lives. For many of us, it's a religious upbringing where divorce is a sin that's seen. um, It's actually a Bible verse that says God hates divorce. Um, And so it's been treated often in the church as kind of the unpardonable sin. There's also a little bit, in some religious environments, of a need to present your marriage as healthier than it is, making divorce very difficult if it becomes necessary. We're also influenced by our own parents' marriages. You may have had parents who divorced, and it was devastating to you, and you're hesitant to do that to your child, or you may have actually had parents who didn't divorce, and you wished they had. Maybe they were even staying together for you and your siblings, but you guys would have rather they just go on, because it was making everyone so miserable. Um, And then there's our beliefs about marriage. We have this kind of utopian belief that if the relationship is right, if we chose well, it'll be easy, or at least be doable, and it'll get better, not worse, and that we won't have to work so hard at it. And unfortunately, that's just not real. Because we all bring all of our childhood issues, we replicate our family of origin in our adult relationships. And we bring all of those, that messaging and belief systems that we've developed, we bring all of our coping mechanisms. We don't know how to argue appropriately. Most of us didn't have that modeled for us. Um, or taught to us. And so we get triggered um, into spaces where it still feels like we're children, trying to get our emotional needs met that we did not get met as kids. Um, We come into marriage believing it's our partner's responsibility to meet those needs. We struggle with wanting our partner to be responsible for our emotions, making us feel feel a certain way if they don't we tend to blame them for on our unhappiness but that may actually be unresolved anger or unresolved trauma uh, or unresolved pain from your own childhood that you're projecting onto your partner so or it may be that your partner is doing these things and you're really trying to be a healthy adult but they just can't show up in that way and be healthy in the relationship there's nothing more frustrating than being in that space i'll self-disclose that my husband and i have been married for 42 years and we spent way too many of those years struggling and there were various reasons that i stayed over the years many times they made no sense to anyone but me And this is where it gets really personal and individual. And this is something I'm just going to ask you because I had a deep knowing in the worst of times. There were times when I wanted to leave and couldn't. There were times when I could have left and didn't want to and chose not to. And in those times when I chose not to, it was because of this deep gut feeling that I wasn't supposed to, that I needed to stick it out. And I truly came to terms with that, and accepted and honored that. And on this side of it, I am so grateful that I did. But I will say this, I wouldn't have if I'd been married to someone who wasn't always wishing to be better, longing to be better, wanting to resolve issues, wanting to be emotionally um, mature and healthy. He struggled for a lot of different reasons, had a lot of trauma, not just in childhood, but even in early adulthood, that interfered with his ability. Most importantly, he had a very, very anxious attachment system. And he expected me to make him okay. And so everything I did, he personalized. And when he couldn't tolerate that, he acted out in other ways. And it wasn't until he got the right kind of trauma therapy that he could heal those things and show up in a healthy way. And now uh, we have a really redemptive, beautiful relationship that's still growing every day. Um, but if he'd not been committed to being a better man, if he hadn't been trying even when it was hard, I would have given up a long time ago. And so do you have have you had a a knowing that has kept you there if so i would be careful about questioning it especially if you and your partner have similar values i will tell you as hard work as it is to make a marriage healthy and successful it's near impossible if your values don't align, you can have absolutely nothing in common. And if your values align, you can make this relationship work. You both have to work hard at it. But if they're not, that's when I tell people to really evaluate what price they're paying to stay in the relationship. Because if you have to abandon yourself in order to be in a relationship with someone else, that's never going to end well. You're just going to get, the marriage is going to continue to be unmanageable. It's going to continue to deteriorate. More importantly, you will deteriorate. We have to be able to choose ourselves first. And we want our partners to choose themselves first. And then when we do that, we're able to come together and support one another. But if I have to abandon myself in order to take care of someone else, that's too big a price to pay. So I hope that's helpful. It's not really an answer to your question because I don't think it's an, an it's a question that can be answered by anyone but you. But I hope it's given you some things to think about that might make the decision a little bit easier. I wish you well.
0: decreasing, I've seen my skin tone looking better, and it feels really nice. If you've used an over-the-counter retinol before, you know it's really great Percent off your first order, which is their very best offer anywhere. That's S E L F I E to get 15% off your first order at DearBrightly.com. So, when I was a teen learning to shave my legs, my mom did not do me any favors by buying me really cheap disposable razors. If you grew up in as a teen in the 90s, you know the ones, and they left nicks and cuts all over me when I was trying to shave. So, automating things. You never have to worry about dull blades because they send refills on your schedule. You just choose how often you want them and they will send them automatically with free shipping. I would also highly recommend their Cloud Shave Foam too. It's insanely thick and stays on while you shave so you don't have to reapply. It leaves your skin feeling very moisturized. It's really, really good. If you want to try a great quality razor that cuts down on the wastefulness of disposable razors, try Athena Club Razor Kit. You can get 20% off your first order at Athena Club com with the promo code SELFIE. That's A-T-H-E-N-A-C-L-U-B.com with the promo code SELFIE for 20% off. All right, right, we're next we're going to be chatting with Jennifer Petriglieri. She is an associate professor and the author of a new book called Couples That Work, How Dual Career Couples Can Thrive in Love and Work. I you know lots of us um, are working, many of us are working parents, and a lot of us are working people with partners who work. Whether you're married or like me, I'm dating and have a boyfriend who's also in a job. And my husband and I, before divorcing, we're both working professionals for a long time for the most of our marriage. And it is very challenging. Um, and I think a lot of issues that arise in two working parents are not always what they seem. So she has a lot of insight to share with us. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm curious to
3: start with what compelled you to sort of dive into this topic. So I'm part of a working couple, like most of us these days. Mm-hmm. And um, You know, my husband and I had gone through the usual struggles that I guess everyone goes through, you know kids arriving how do we manage childcare and how do we sort out where we live and our families and how our careers interact and as an academic for the last 10 15 years I've been studying people's careers and their career transitions and I kept hearing people say to me you know if you really want to understand my career you should talk to my partner
2: mm. and um,
3: and I couldn't agree more and yet when I looked at the research the books Whenever we talk about careers, we really talk about individuals' careers as if they don't interact with anyone else, as if they don't have a life outside. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about relationships, we really talk about relationships in isolation, not including our work lives. And there was nothing that looked at the combination of it all, right? How do we fit together two careers and a relationship and make all of that work? So I thought, well, if no one's written about that and researched it, that's what I'm going to do. I love it. And
0: I, I think you're so right. We really don't t- talk a lot about career and family life. And I think, I, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I feel like women are a little hesitant to talk sometimes about the interplay between those two things, because, you know, we, we want to believe we can have it all. We want to believe that, you know, and then I think we maybe live in fear of admitting that our family life affects our work and our work affects our family life because we want, you know, we, we're pushing towards equality, which of course is good, but family life affects both pieces of a couple. And I think women are sometimes hesitant to talk about
3: that. I think so. And I think that stems from the belief that it's going to be a negative impact, which is yeah. not always the case. Uh-huh. And in fact, what we see is a spillover in both directions, right? We see these positive loops and these negative loops. So when we're stressed at home, we're more likely to be stressed at work and these two things create this perfect storm and it's just life seems to be a mess. But likewise, when we're thriving at work, we tend to give our best selves at home as well and it can create this positive feedback loop and we much less often focus on that. Yeah, that is really
0: true. That is really true. Well, in one um, of the articles you wrote, you talked about giving up um, on work-life balance. Talk to me about that.
3: Yeah, and I'm really thinking when I say give up on work-life balance, this ideal of work-life balance. So yeah. You know this yourself very well. We are fed this image of this perfect life by the magazines and celebrities and everything where, you know, we're going to have this great relationship and totally. kids perfect and never get sick. Totally. And we'll be great in bed and we'll cook perfectly and we'll be super sporty and have a perfect body and we'll have a dog and everything will be perfect. I mean, no one has a life like this, right? And I think what happens when we have this image of this perfectly balanced life is we kill ourselves trying to achieve something that no one's life is like that. And when I wrote that article, I was saying, you know, when I speak to couples, the couples and the women who are really struggling with this question of work-life balance, what they're really struggling with is the question of what do I really want? And when we can't answer that question, Mm. we tend to chase these ideals, which is, I want a bit of everything. But most people, when they sit down, they'll say to themselves, well, actually, you know, some of those things aren't that important for me. And even if they're important for you, you know, for me, that's just not, you know, important in my life. Yeah. And I think we need to get away from this sparkly ideal of this perfect work-life balance, which no one has. No, it's an an illusion. Yeah. And think about what is important in my life and Mm. how can I have that and how can I, you know what, I'm just going to leave the rest. It's not for me. Yep. Yeah, that is
0: so true. And, you know, I think one of the things that feminism gave us, which is so fortunate, is choice and agency. We can choose. We can can do everything, but we can't do everything at the same time. And I think think that... That's like a pruning process that every woman has to kind of go through is like, sure, I could do all the things you just mentioned. I could have a perfect body and be a perfect homemaker and be like in a corporate career, but like you probably can't do
3: all of it at once. Yeah, And you know what's interesting? When you look at the research on choice, it says that we tend to think more choice is better, but the more choice we have, the harder it is to Uh choose and the more we regret our choices. So true. I believe that. And so I think what I find is that by saying to myself, this is what I want and this is what I'm not bothered about, we yeah. limit our choices. And that's a really healthy thing. Yes. To say, you know what, like the dog and being on the school board and baking cakes for every bake sale. Yes. That's just not important to me. Uh-huh. And so that is outside of my choice set. Yeah. And that is one of the healthiest things we can do is to choose not to choose. Yeah.
0: I completely agree. And that's been something that's been a struggle for me. And, you know, just deciding the things that I let go of, because some of the things I let go of are actually things I'd like to do. Like, I'd like to be the mom that brings homemade baked goods to the multicultural feast, you know, or I'd like to be the mom who is fully engaged in PTA but I have had to decide like I can't do those things and also have a job and also you know be engaged in some of the other things that are important to me and so it is you do kind of have to make that list of like all the potential roles and then say okay I can
3: maybe do three or four yeah and I think it's about what's really important to me because I mean I hear you saying you would like to be you would like to be the mom who does the bake sales but my question is why yeah. Is it because you really like baking or is it because you feel you should be that mom? So much of the should, mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that's what I'm encouraging women to let go of. Yeah. If you So I, I love baking. I really want to be the bake sale mom <laughs> because I love baking. But you know, the PTA, it, it just doesn't interest me. And yeah. I'm super glad for the mothers who do want to do that. Mm-hmm. But that's not me. Mm-hmm. And I need to recognize that and not feel guilty that, yeah. you know, that's just not me. But
0: I'll bake the cakes. Yep. And that's okay if that's not you. Yeah. And another thing that I remind myself a lot is it may not be me in this season, you know?
3: Exactly. Like there's just different seasons.
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember when I have four kids that are very closely spaced in age. And, you know, when they were really little – Um, it was impossible for me to volunteer in a classroom because I had three little kids at home. Like, so who wants to volunteer dragging a baby and toddler into the room? That just adds more chaos, right? And so I just, I was a really completely uninvolved mom for years. But now I have middle schoolers and I'm, you know, I'm helping with the theater boosters program. And, you know, it's it's a season where I can do those things. And I think that's important too, is remembering what you can or can't do now might totally change as life changes. Absolutely. Well, one of the other things that you have talked about is, um, hacking inequality at home. And I find this to be when I get in a room full of women, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, this topic tends to bubble up, which is we still find that women seem to be the ones who are pressured or feel those shoulds that we're talking about to do a lot of the domestic, the school, um, even though we might be in what we think of as an egalitarian marriage and, you know, we're equals and we both work, but yet, a lot of that load for domestic and
3: child-rearing stuff seems to fall to women still. Yeah, and it's really interesting this because if you, if you talk to many couples, which I do, especially the couples kind of under 45, let's say, as a, as a rough rule, most of them genuinely want to be egalitarian, both the men yes. and the women. Right. But we are swimming against the tide that pushes us in the other direction. Yes. And what I find is that even the best of couples who are really dedicated to equality have to be very, very mindful about keeping that on track because Mm -hmm. it's so easy to be pushed along by the tide. And whether that's because the school always calls you Mm -hmm. because you're the Mm mum or... You know, or whether it's you just fall into the habit, you know, if the kids are sick, well, it really should be me who takes them to the, to the doctors, for example. You know, a lot of, this is a combination of pressure mm-hmm. from external and internal pressure when we tell ourselves, well, it was always mm-hmm. my mom who took us when we right. were sick to the doctor, so maybe right. I should do the thing, same thing. And what I find is for couples, the, the best way to get out of this is a real strict division of tasks. So let me give mm-hmm. you an example. This is an easy one. My husband is a doctor, right? So anything medical and dentist Mm -hmm. is his domain. I don't even think about it. Right. And when we have that super clarity, it's a lot easier not to get dragged into that role. Now, that's easy for me. My husband is a medic. But we can still think of those. You know, I'm, you know, another thing we divide is I'm very much in charge of the friends network. So Mm -hmm. the sleepovers, the parties, remembering who's dad to call whatever that is that's my job and it frees my husband up he doesn't even need to think about this yeah and what's interesting is the inequality is not so much in the doing it's in the keeping it in mind and you'll know this distinction very well it's not the time it takes to take someone to a sleepover yeah. it's the keeping in mind the sleepovers next weekend I maybe need to buy a little gift I need to make sure they've got the bag ready it's not doing the stuff it's oh remembering my all the moving pieces. Totally. And, um, and if you can divide the mental space, yes. the doing becomes a lot easier.
0: I agree. I totally agree. And I think, I mean, I think one of the difficulties, well, I think there's two difficulties in that. One is I think we've been socialized to carry that mental load a little more and it doesn't come as Absolutely. naturally for men. Yeah. And so – we'll just sort of take it over because it seems difficult for them. But then what we also do is we create learn helplessness,
3: you know? Yeah. Like I'll forget it. I'll do it. Yeah. Um, and I but, think, I, I, and the way I think about this is, you know, I you remember those days, my kids are a bit older now where they're learning to tie their shoelaces. Yes. Right. Uh-huh. If you do it every time for them, uh-huh. they're never going to be able to tie their shoelaces, right? They'll That's get right. to 60, not No. And you know, as a mother, I just need to let them do it and yep. there'll be a little painful learning period. Uh-huh. It's exactly the same things in our couples. Now, I don't want to compare our, our partners to our children, but there is a bit like that and it works both ways as well. There's things that our partners do for us that it's probably very painful for them to watch us do. Yes, But, you know, if they give us that learning period, it will all be good. So I think part of it is, take, you know, taking it on the chin a little bit, that, yeah. that learning period. And knowing that it will lead to a greater good.
0: Yes. And I think also, too, just one of the things that I have struggled with is letting the standard be different if mm. my children's father does things, right? So if, I, if I'm if i overloaded and I say, I need you to handle um, the contribution that she needs to give at this party, or I need you to p- pick up a gift for this child, well – you know, the gift that he chooses is not going to be as thoughtful as the one that I choose because we have different radars on that or the, the you know, what he sends to the party is probably gonna, not going to be what I wanted it to be. But just learning to be okay with that, that like, yeah, it, if he has a different standard, it's okay. Everyone's going to live if he kind of phones it in, <laughs> but it gets done.
3: And I also think there's a really valuable lesson for our children in there, right? That we don't have to strive for perfection. It's so true. Done is good enough. Done is good enough. You know, and then
0: I think another thing that you mentioned is really salient, which is we're in this interesting sandwich generation, I think, in feminism where we're moving towards egalitarian and equality, you know, in our marriages. And as you said, I think most couples are striving for that. But we still have that socialization where we grew up in families, at least I did, where I, my dad did not do much of the domestic stuff. And so it's like, that's what we've watched. And that's what we all know. And we're trying to shift and we're not realizing all of the sort of subconscious stuff we're bringing in to our relationships from what we watched from our mom and dad.
3: I know, but we also need to recognize that just by living a life that's more egalitarian, we are socializing the next generation. I hope so. There's really interesting research that shows that if you take little boys and girls who have working parents, and they don't even need to be big career parents, it might just be one of the parents has a part-time job, but just the fact they work outside the house, when we track these people through life, they are much, much, much more egalitarian than people who've had one homemaker and one careerist mm-hmm. in the family. Yeah, So it's not even about having two parents who are super high flyers. It's right. just having two parents who are a little bit more balanced. Yeah. And we see, because it's all about role modeling, isn't it? We see them yeah. as role model and we see that both mum and dad or whoever the two parents are, are chipping in at home and are chipping in in terms of winning the bread. And that inculcates children. And so, you know, there's this really interesting piece of research about men at work and the men who are most egalitarian, who treat the women most fairly at work, are men who either have a a spouse, a wife who works, or they have an older daughter who works. Mm. And so it's like they get it and so they replicate it. And so I think this generational piece, it's tough for those of us who have you know, our older parents who are sort of maybe uh, tut-tutting at our choices. But it can be broken actually quite quickly between generations. Yeah, I think Um, you're right. And we can see that playing out.
0: Yeah, I really hope that our kids have less of of a struggle with this. And, you know, and I think too, for me as a mom, part of it is making sure that I'm keeping things egalitarian in the home. I can even fall into, which is terrible, but like, Okay, girls, empty the dishwasher, boys take out the trash, right? Yeah. Or um, well the, you know, or letting my daughters do things more frequently because they're better at them. It's it's like playing out <laughs> my own relationship dynamics,
3: right? Absolutely. And I think egalitarianism, It all starts at home, but we also see this really interesting effect for the daughters of mothers who work outside the home, Mm. and we see that they're more likely to get higher pay. They get higher paying jobs. Mm. They're more likely to take the STEM subjects, so you know the science, technology, engineering. And, and they tend to be a bit more confident in themselves. Yeah. And so we can see, you know, none of us, it comes back to this, we're not perfect and that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. We may still get the girls to do, you know, unpack the dishwasher. (laughs) Well, and it's like, it's
0: that override. It's like, you have to, you have to be really, I have to, at least,
3: I have to be very
0: intentional to make sure that I'm letting my boys do just as much of the cooking.
3: I agree. And I also think it's important we don't beat ourselves up about it. Yeah. Because I think one of the other messages that we give to our children, you know, is we're not perfect and that's okay. Yes. And that gives them permission to not be perfect too, which of course they they are not. And that's what's so good about them. Absolutely. And I do
0: think, I I feel like that is something that our generation is doing well is... I think we tend to be more vulnerable with our kids and more human, you know? Yeah, I think so. And I think that's really helpful for them to see that they can see, like, wow, I'm, you know, like, I'll tell my kids sometimes, like, I'm not very balanced right now, or I'm kind of not doing the best self-care. Or I've been a little busy and harried, and I'm sorry about that. And, yeah. you know, I don't, I, I, th- I think my parents generation I I found that they just tended to be a little more closed off to talking
3: about feelings and it's really that kind of stiff upper lip generation as we would say in the UK and I think it's very healthy To I remember my I overheard my son the other day talking with a friend and his friend was a bit grumpy and my son said to him well, it's okay to have a grumpy day because if you were never grumpy, you wouldn't know what happiness would be like. Ah. And I was like, yes, parenting win. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and I think it's about normalizing that range of emotions and the range of feelings. And, um, you know, it's okay not to be happy all the time. In fact, yeah. it's normal. Yes. Um, yeah. and, and that's a good thing. That is a good thing. That's a That's a gift to teach our kids that.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I know that you write extensively about this in the book, but, um, and I hope people will go check it out. But what, um, what are some tips that you can give dual career families to, you know, kind of thrive and survive?
3: So one of the biggest things I found in my research was it doesn't really matter what choices you make it matters the way you go about the choices. Hmm. So there's no one size fits all. There's Mm -hmm. no kind of work family hack. It's really the hack is in how you go about making those choices. And the couples who really thrived across time, and of course they still face challenges, we all do, but the couples who really thrived across time were, were couples who took time to really talk through their choices and talk through them really based on three criteria. One is, is this something that really matters to us? It's like what we were talking about earlier. Is this really going to add value in our lives? And if not, it's a no. You know, it doesn't matter whether there's a social expectation, it's a no. The second thing was they had a really clear idea of what are the lines that they're not willing to cross. So what's, what's the field they're playing on, if I can put it that way? Mm-hmm. So maybe these lines are geographic, you know, we're ba- based on the East Coast and... Um, And, you know, if an opportunity comes up on the West Coast, that's just not for us. Mm -hmm. So to have these really strong lines, it might be about geography. It might be around time, right? What time is too much time at work?
0: Yeah.
1: And if we
3: get a job with that kind of level of commitment, it's just not for us. Or maybe it's about work, travel, things like this. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. This is really helpful to ground couples in those decisions. Yes. And the last thing was these couples were really opened about their fears, what are we worried about with these choices? Hmm. Is it a concern about our family, our relationship, our careers? But really thrashing through those things we're worried about made them make very, very mindful choices. Now, what they chose may be great for them, might be a disaster for another couple. It wasn't about what they chose per se. It was really about that process of choice. And the book talks about what that process of choice choosing is and how it differs at different career stages and yeah. different life stages. So, you know, that process of choice is very different in those early days when we've got young kids and we're battling to get a foot on the career ladder. It's a very different process for when, you know, the stage I'm at now, which is mid-career, kind of mid-40s, we're established, we've got a lot of responsibilities, we've got elder care to deal with, you know, we're, we're managing big teams at work. Which is, again, a very different process from a bit later in our careers when um, we're really facing those questions of legacy and identity and the kids have left home. And so the book really goes through the process of making those choices at different stages of our lives together. I love that.
0: And I love just that idea of really being intentional and like setting forward your boundaries Mm -hmm. and your goals before you get into the situation so that when things arise you know what your framework is you're not
3: being reactive you're being more proactive it's so important and I think it's really important to understand it's not about having a 10-year life plan right because we never know what life is going to throw at us it's not about saying you know if I think of some of your younger listeners who maybe don't have kids yet okay in three years we're gonna have our first child and then another two years later we're gonna uh-huh. have our second child like, life doesn't work like that oh no it does not it is, <laughs> mine but did not <laughs> I don't think anyone's does, but I think it's more about having a sense of, you know, what are our values? What really matters to us in life? What are the yardsticks by which we're going to measure our life? And then let's choose mindfully knowing that, you know, life still is not going to work out exactly the way we think it's going to work, but at least we're going to be on the right track. Yeah. I love that.
0: Okay. Well, Jennifer, before
3: we end, we love to ask
0: our guests about their self-care practices and things that are giving them life in the area of self-care. This could be a practice, a movie, a product. What two things are you loving right now in terms of self-care?
3: So I, the two things I'm loving, the first thing are my children and I, we all play the piano. And at the moment, we're <gasps> learning a trio. And it is so fun in the evening to sit down and just spend 10 15 minutes all learning this together. Um, and I think it's self-care because it's just so immersive.
0: Oh, my god. But gosh. also the
3: fact of being in it together is really fun. And I love playing the piano. I love and that. My, and my second self-care is I love to cook. Mm-hmm. you know and it's always my relaxing time in the evening to yes cook dinner, bake some things and with christmas coming up mm-hmm. there's so many nice things to cook so it's mm-hmm. wonderful. Have a glass of wine, put the christmas music
0: on and oh, cook. Yeah. That is definitely a self-care thing for me yeah. too in the evenings. <laughs> it's a nice way to close out the day. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much. This was really insightful and helpful. I hope people will go check out your book. It is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble.
3: And where where can people find you online? So I have a website and I'm going to spell it because my surname is very complicated. <laughs> <So it's laughs> www.jpetrieri.com, which is J-P-E-T-R-I-E g-l-i-e-r-i.com and you can find lots of resources from the books videos articles i've written everything's there wonderful and i will link
0: um up to your page on our selfie podcast website as well jennifer thank you so much i really appreciate it thank you so much thanks for joining us continue the self-care conversation with us over at instagram at at selfie podcast